As cases of COVID-19 continue to rise around the country, the White House's messaging around the disease is going through something of a shift, saying they do not intend to close down schools and businesses during the latest COVID surge. Could this be a sign that the left finally realizes the constant lockdowns and school closures and all that stuff are untenable? I'll answer the question in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The White House knows that they've got a big problem on their hands right now because you have over 130,000 cases a day based on the seven-day average and CDC data of COVID-19. Despite over 60% of the overall population vaccinated, about 90% of the 65 and up population vaccinated, we are seeing a massive surge. What the heck is going on? Well, some of us have been looking at the data for months and saying, hold on a second, these vaccines aren't as protective against infection and transmission as we've been told. In fact, infected people who are vaccinated have the same level of virus, virus uh, as tested recently. They may have a shorter window of transmissibility, but still the same level of virus when they can transmit. That is what the science tells us. So stopping the spread is not something this White House, this Biden regime has been even remotely successful in doing. The White House put out a statement on Omicron specifically, and it shows that they don't seem to be willing right now to go into full-on lockdown mode. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Um, Let's understand something right now, friends. First of all, uh, there are plenty unfortunately, far too many vaccinated people in the hospitals and even vaccinated people who are dying. They are less likely by the numbers, substantially less likely, about 10 times less than those who are unvaccinated. But when you look at those numbers across a population of 340 million people, the vaccines are not working as well as advertised. And that means there are big policy problems going on right now. I mean, here's Biden reiterating that Omicron statement, essentially saying, though, that The only real problem here is the unvaccinated. Watch. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. Have hospitals ever been overwhelmed during this pandemic entirely? Has that really happened? They keep talking about it. But this is now get the shot or else even though it's also get another shot or else because the previous shot doesn't work well enough or long enough to stop the surge we see right now. This is the reality of the Biden regime's COVID mitigation policies. Some people are starting to say, hold on a second. We really can't do that thing again where we all just panic and start taking all these extreme measures that don't even stop the virus, right? I mean, for example, there's talk in New York City of of shutting down schools Why would they shut down schools? Is there any real reason to believe that if schools are open, it will be too dangerous for children? Is that something that we really have to think right now is the case based on the data? Uh, The answer is no, it's never been too dangerous for children to be in school, in fact. So why would it even be considered? None other than uh, Brian Stelter, the voice of the left-wing pseudo-consensus over at CNN on these issues. Um, He's saying maybe we shouldn't actually think about closing schools. Maybe we should give kids normal lives. He's waking up to reality, folks. 
It feels to me like in, in some media circles, this was the week where getting COVID became an inevitability, that there's this acceptance that everybody's going to get COVID eventually. Tens of millions of Americans already have, and everybody else is going to at some point. Is that the proper approach, just to accept that at some point you'll be infected? And here's another question, since we're hearing about schools closing again. We collectively took action to protect the elderly in 2020. Now, shouldn't we be doing more to protect children by letting them live normal lives? Are we really going to let the kids suffer even more? We should have never let the kids suffer. We should have never masked up the kids. We shouldn't have done any. We shouldn't be forcing vaccines for COVID on them. This was all crazy. Are they finally recognizing this? Some of them, maybe a little bit for right now. Meanwhile, if you turn on, you know, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Doom, he's out there to tell you, you know, you can't enjoy a normal holiday because if you don't know everyone's vaccination status, it's, uh, it's too risky, too dangerous. So you really want to avoid going anywhere where you don't know if everybody's vaccinated. But here's the problem, folks. There are a lot of vaccinated people. The, the NBA right now has tons of positive cases for people who are fully vaccinated, young and healthy individuals who are professional athletes fully vaccinated. You're seeing shutdowns of restaurants, voluntary shutdowns of restaurants and other places because people are so scared, even when there are vaccination passports in place, such as there are in New York. So what the heck is Fauci talking about? Watch. You said earlier this week that if you're vaccinated, you should feel comfortable traveling and, and celebrating the holidays with, with your family. Uh, do, you, do you still believe that? No, I do. If you are vaccinated and boosted and are prudent when you travel, when you're in an airport, to be wearing a mask all the time, you have to be wearing a mask on a plane. Uh, do not do things like go to gatherings where there are people who you do not know what their vaccination status is. If you do that, and some people are even going the extra step or the extra mile, of maybe even getting tested when you have people coming over the house. We now have a much wider availability of point of care tests that you can get a result in about 15 minutes. So you might want to do that. If you do these things, uh, John, I do believe that you can feel quite comfortable. Mm. Do everything they say, and maybe you can stop being terrified at holiday time and on the gatherings that are underway. Okay. Um, by the way, they're not done. They're not done right now with possibly enhancing these restrictions. Do they work? Do mask mandates work? Have vaccine passports work? Do they ever stop to think about what the data shows us on this? Because the answers are quite clear. No, Fauci has a fever and the only prescription is more COVID restrictions. But you've got to follow what's going on. If the counts keep going up and the, and the test positivity keeps going up, we may need to be more restrictive. But for right now, people who are vaccinated and boosted should feel reasonably comfortable. The risk is never zero. That's for sure. But what, any what's, the number, what's the number you reassess at? You, you, you just suggested, I think, perhaps for the first time, that you would be forced to reassess if the numbers go up. At what level, meaning, uh, you know, if, if you hear that it's, yeah, the I mean, positivity rate is 25 percent in a particular or 30 percent, does that yeah. change? You know, I'm not going to give you a number. Not going to give you a number. Yeah, no surprise there, as Fauci knows. It's all falling apart. The whole Fauciite edifice is falling apart around him right now. Because they were wrong, folks. Once again, 
They were wrong about stopping the spread. Didn't work. All right, we'll have more on this with senior contributor at The Federalist and columnist at Newsweek, Ben Weingarten. I want to talk to you about my digital money. Crypto market is heating up. A lot of people want to get in on the action for the first time. Where do you get started, though? If you want to buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any of the other dozens of digital tokens out there, you need to know where to get started. That's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. They even offer a Play Money account so you can test the market without risking your money, along with top security and trigger orders and all kinds of really great features. Crypto market's heating up. This could be a great time to get started in your crypto investing. Go check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. We just can't shut down our, our society yep. again. If you've got two vaccines and a booster and people are going out to restaurants in New York City and we've done it several times, Mika, we've done events. We've had a lot of people around us. We have we have we have been in a lot of restaurants. We have been on airplanes. Uh, we're vaccinated. And listen, if people are unvaccinated, uh, you know, uh, and they want to take risks, I've said it all along. People smoke if they want to smoke. I'm not if they want to smoke, man. That's their business. Let them smoke. They don't want to get vaccinated. That's their business. But damn it, we're not going to shut down this society again because of people who aren't following basic science. Hmm. That was MSNBC's Joe Scarborough finally coming around to the position that anyone with half a brain has held for over a year now that vaccinations and boosters should be a matter of personal choice, and lockdowns and school closures have no real justification. But not everyone left is on board with the new message. Incoming New York City Mayor Eric Adams is still not ruling out school closures this winter. Mr. Mayor-elect, how about with regard to the New York City public schools? Well, we're doing an amazing job. We're looking at those areas where we have large outbreaks. We are temporarily shutting down the schools in those areas. Uh, I think it's smart. It's a great way to go. And we're going to continue to do that. Sounds an awful lot like Bill de Blasio. Here to give us his take is senior contributor at The Federalist and columnist for Newsweek, Benjamin Weingarten. Ben, good to see you, my friend. Happy holidays. Look, it's always a pleasure. And to you, too. So is the pendulum beginning to swing the other way, you think, in a meaningful way? I think the rhetoric has to shift because the facts on the ground are such a damning indictment of really the public health tyranny that we've seen over the last 21 months. And I don't think it's because of a sober reason judgment about, well, we've put forth all of these draconian measures with masking, with coercive vaccination, with censorship and attacking dissenters, as we've seen, you know, in the most vile and disgusting ways from the Biden White House in recent days. But I think there's a recognition that the shellacking that Democrats took in elections this year, and of course, Mayor Adams in New York doesn't have to worry about that anymore, which might be why he's taking the position that he is. But from Virginia to even New Jersey, one of the biggest movers of voters in these blue states was the fact that the lockdowns crippled basic American life. And that includes shutting down the schools. Schools being, if there's one silver lining of all of this, the fact that thankfully 
children don't seem to be infected at high rates. They don't seem to show substantial symptoms. They don't seem to transmit the viruses like older people do. So why would you blow the one positive silver lining aspect of this and punish children, punish their parents, and create generational cycles of sequence of it? I think the politics have shifted. I don't think this has anything to do, of course, with the science, so-called, or anything else for that matter. It's purely politics. Speaking of the politics of this, I think people that are at least open-minded enough to look at the evidence we have are seeing now more than ever that there were very high-level bureaucrats who decided that this was a political fight, that they were going to go after dissenters, to borrow a good word from you there, Ben. Here is NIH Director Francis Collins talking about the Great Barrington Declaration. Let's remember the Great Barrington Declaration was thousands of doctors, epidemiologists, scientists who wrote this or signed their names to this document that stated that focused protection was the way forward. Those who are at risk get the resources, get shots, get what they need. Everybody else lives life normally. Here's what NIH Director Francis Collins said about those folks in an email. Watch. What was being proposed there was basically saying, let's not worry about mitigation. Let's just let this virus rip. Uh, this is, of course, before we had vaccines. And basically, these, I will call them fringe epidemiologists who really did not have the credentials to be making such a grand sweeping statement, were saying, just let the virus run through the population and eventually then everybody will have had it and we'll be okay. Hundreds of thousands of people would have died uh, if we had followed that strategy. Can I just say, he's lying. As I read the Great Barrington Declaration, nor did it say, let it rip. But the fact that he's lying, I think, tells us a lot. And, and I know he is because I read the Great Barrington Declaration, right? I mean, I've actually uh, read it several times. Uh, I think that's a tell. As is the appeal to authority. Well, they don't have the credentials to be making these arguments. When, of course, many of them do. They have, you know, the most advanced degrees possible from the greatest academic institutions, medical research institutions in the world, and here you have a public health bureaucrat conspiring in an email to try and discredit and undermine those who present a competing idea. And by the way, who, who is acting fringe here? The people who came up with six feet distancing out of nowhere? The people who went from no masks to you should triple, triple mask? The people like Joe Biden, for example, who says, once you get vaccinated, you won't get sick. And then all of a sudden, this shift in, well, you actually can get infected and you actually can transmit as well. They have shifted the goalpost. The definition of vaccination itself has shifted during this. The FDA is protecting files for decades from Pfizer of the trial data. You wouldn't need to engage in this censorship, this coercion, this attacking dissenters if you had the facts on your side or you're just not confident enough in your position, quite frankly. There should be an open, honest, transparent debate about everything that's been done over these 21 months. But then, of course, anyone who dares break from whatever the prevailing orthodoxy is. I mean, look, Senator Ron Johnson has gotten censored on YouTube. Rand Paul has gotten censored on YouTube. These thousands of doctors have been harangued and maligned. And there have been real world health consequences due to the fact that our public health authorities have not allowed there to be any challenging competing evidence put forth in any sort of meaningful way. As someone tweeted, when have you seen Francis Collins, Burks, Fauci et al ever actually engage in an open debate with any of the highly credible people who take competing positions with them. It's never happened. Why shouldn't that happen? Who elected these public health bureaucrats? God, maybe China did. I don't know. Just wanted to have you react to something President, uh, former President Trump said 
over the weekend. He was sitting down with Bill O'Reilly on the vaccines. Watch this. We got a vaccine done in less than nine months that was supposed to take from five to 12 years. Because of that vaccine, because of that vaccine, millions and millions of people, I think this would have been the Spanish flu of 1917, where up to 100 million people died. This was going to ravage the country far beyond what it is right now. Take credit for it. Take credit for it. It's a great, what we've done is historic. Don't let them take it away. Don't take it away from ourselves. You're playing that, you're playing right into their hands when you sort of like, oh, the vaccine. If you don't want to take it, you shouldn't be forced to take it. No mandates, but take credit because we saved tens of millions of lives. Take credit. Don't let them take that away from you. His numbers are a little fuzzy there, but what do you think? Yeah, I think two, we can hold two ideas in our head at the same time. One is that it's remarkable that these vaccines were developed and, and brought to market as quickly as they were in the face of a massively entrenched, hyper-politicized bureaucracy. At the same time, it's very clear that they have been exploited, manipulated for power and control, taking away individual choice, the most significant and sacred and deep kind of choices possible. They are running roughshod over people who seek a religious exemption in a place like New York, and they can't even get a religious exemption associated with them. So Trump's enemies took the vaccine that he helped deliver uniquely and have exploited it and used it against him and and every and everyone he represents non-progressive normal deplorable irredeemable america ben again happy holidays good to see you you too buck take care build back better is dead at least for now this weekend west virginia senator joe manchin confirmed he's a no on the multi-trillion dollar spending legislation much to the chagrin of his fellow democrats We'll have details with commentary editor at the Washington Examiner, Con Carroll, when we come back. But let's talk about protecting your digital privacy. Big tech is taking advantage of us. They're mining our data, remining it, selling it. And guess what? We don't benefit from it. If you think your emails, texts, and messages are private and safe, think again. This is where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss-hosted. They use their own servers in Switzerland and have no ties to American big tech companies. With Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best email platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy. Look, there's a reason Secure built their company the way they did. We need to make a stand and take back our privacy from the big tech monopolies. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month for full access. That's nothing. Go to Secure.com today, create your Secure email address and account, use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's S-E-K-U-R.com, S-E-K-U-R.com, promo code BUCK. Con Carroll stops by. We come back. Stay with us. President Biden's top priority is dead in the water, at least for now. Over the weekend, Senator Joe Manchin made the announcement that he can't support the Build Back Better plan, even after months of his Democrat colleagues trying to convince him to sign off on the bill. Manchin said that ultimately the price was just too steep. Check it out. If I can't go home and explain it, to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no on this legislation. Join me now with Reaction Commentary Editor at Washington Examiner, Con Carroll. Con, thanks for being here with us. Anytime, Buck. 
So this was not the outcome the White House expected, but isn't it the one that they should have been prepared for? They should have. I mean, they helped Manchin separate Build Back Better from the infrastructure plan that Manchin wanted. Once that happened, Build Back Better was, was pretty much dead. So, so pretty much since August, we've known this was going to happen, especially they should have known by mid-November, because mid-November is when the House progressives finally relented and passed uh, the infrastructure bill themselves. And once it became law, Manchin had no reason to support this bill. There was nothing in it he really liked. So the Democrats were obviously very, very upset about this. And they spent much of yesterday, I don't know, Connor, if you happen to do a little bit of light watching over on uh, MSNBC or on CNN, but on MSNBC in particular, you had you know, Bernie Sanders and Ilhan Omar. You had this whole range of voices on the left who were just outraged that Joe Manchin is not going along with this, which I'm pretty sure he told everybody all along, if they want the amount of money that they were demanding, he wouldn't go along with it. But here's the outrage montage. We all knew that uh, Senator Manchin couldn't be trusted. Um, you know, the, the excuses that he just made, um, I think are complete bullshit. Um, it is really disheartening. That I hope that we will bring a strong bill to the floor of the Senate as soon as we can and let Mr. Manchin explain to the people of West Virginia why he doesn't have the guts to stand up to powerful special interests. I think uh, what Senator Manchin did yesterday represents such an egregious breach of the trust of the president. And it's also, you know, this is exactly why uh, it's an outcome that we had warned about. Uh, but let's start with the last one there. Egregious breach of trust of the president? What, what is that even supposed to mean in this context? I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't in there for the private conversations between Biden and Manchin. I don't know what was said exactly, but he's been crystal clear from way back in October what he wanted. He said he wanted them to pick one or two programs, fully fund them, and then he might vote for it. Instead, at the progressives urging, at AOC's urging, everyone else, Biden picked 10 programs, funded them for a year, and then expected Manchin to sign off on all these budget gimmicks. When he was very clear from October through November, the entire process, he's been crystal clear. I'm not going to vote for a bunch of budget gimmicks. If you want to do one real program and fully fund it, I'll be there. Otherwise, I'm out. And they're the ones that have been flip-flopping back and forth, not Manchin. Jen Psaki of the White House put out this statement on Manchin's no stance. Quote, Senator Manchin promised to continue conversations in the days ahead and to work with us to reach that common ground. If his comments on Fox and written statement indicate an end to that effort, they represent a sudden and inexplicable reversal in his position and a breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and the Senate. Uh, so obviously they're really going after him. I'm just wondering, do you, is this just all for show for the Democrat base? Or are they actually so scorned as they seem to be in this whole process because they somehow didn't believe the guy when he said what he wanted? No, I think they're done with him. Um, I think the Biden administration is largely driven by staff. I don't think Biden's that much in charge. I think there's a bunch of progressive activists in there that basically control the place. And when you listen to the House Progressive Caucus, they did a phone call today when they talk about the next steps, and their next steps were not legislative. They want Biden to do um, this agenda through executive action. So there was amnesty in Build Back Better. They want Biden to do that through executive action. There was a bunch of climate stuff. They want Biden to do that through executive action. Uh, there was student debt, debt relief. They want to do that through executive action. So the progressives 
are done legislating. They now want Biden to do what Obama did on DACA back in 2014. They want him to act alone unilaterally and pass the agenda that way. Senator Schumer, speaking of the agenda, is pushing forward, he says. The Senate will, in fact, consider the Build Back Better Act very early in the new year so that every member of this body has the opportunity to make their position known on the Senate floor, not just on television. We're going to vote on a revised version of the House-passed Build Back Better Act. We'll keep voting on it until we get something done. So what is this actually going to mean? And what's your takeaway from uh, Schumer here? It's a huge gift to Republicans, right? There's a bunch of stuff that's very unpopular in that bill. He's going to force cinema and all kinds of other uh, red state Democrats to vote for it. It's going to be make them uh, have a hard vote. They'll have to defend in 2022 and 2024. So it's just a gift to Republicans, especially if Schumer keeps doing it, because the narrative, as long as you're stuck on this bill, is the Democrats are in disarray. The Democrats are losing. So if Schumer wants to keep calling up votes that everyone knows they're going to lose, great. That's that's Mitch McConnell can ask for anything more. By the way, AOC, the great strategist of the Democrats in Congress, says that there should be new Democratic leadership there. Oh, yeah, here you go. The president did say that uh, that the bipartisan, I mean, rather that the Build Back Better Act was promised um, and that, you know, he's got it. And we said, you know, with respect uh, to the president, he can't, no one uh, can really be, promise a, a mansion vote. Our leadership needs to step up, and I think that we can do that. Uh, I, I do not believe that the situation is beyond repair, but it's going to take a different kind of thinking to get out of it than it did to get into it. Different kind of thinking, huh? Interesting. Very interesting. We'll see when, what happens in Schumer's primary. Now, do you think this bill is over? Do you think that they're going to be able to get something through next year? Because Democrats don't always get uh, as worried about bills as they are about this one. Looks like they're actually concerned that this could be dead on arrival. What do you make of it? I really think it's dead. I think, I think they've really burned that bridge. Saki's statement was so tough with Manchin, basically climbing a liar. You've had a whole bunch of progressives come out and say the same thing. I think Manchin feels really alienated from this party. And there's just no reason for you to come back and, and get anything done. All right, my friend. Good to see you, Con. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Buck. If you needed any more evidence that the January 6th committee was a partisan absurdity, Congressman Adam Schiff has been busted for doctoring text messages from former chief of staff to President Trump, Mark Meadows. Coming up, we'll talk to the co-founder of TheFederalist.com, Sean Davis, about the latest developments from that kangaroo court situation. Right now, I want to tell you about my digital money. Crypto is hot. Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of tokens out there, and you can have big gains if you know what you're doing. How do you get started? It's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities, and even a play money account so you can test the market. Look, the crypto market's heating up. This might be the best time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with The Federalist's Sean Davis. There are also text messages, and I assume you have more, but the, the text messages that you released 
from your colleagues, from your Republican colleagues uh, on January 6th, and as you said, before January 6th, that look pretty damning. Do you think that some of your Republican colleagues bear direct responsibility for that riot? It's possible. I'm not ready to kind of go to that point yet because I want to let the facts dictate it. But I will tell you, uh, yes, there are more texts out there that, that we haven't released. We're going to pursue doggedly everything to the ends of the earth. And that includes, uh, and we don't like necessarily having to go here, but that includes members of Congress. Republican representative, for now, Adam Kinzinger, saying it's possible some of his GOP colleagues in Congress are responsible for the January 6th attack on the Capitol that the committee is investigating the so-called insurrection and not ruling out issuing subpoenas for sitting members of Congress. So how is any of this legal exactly? What's going on here? Why isn't the media paying more attention to the fact the committee admitting to doctoring text messages? We've got a lot to unpack here. Let's bring in co-founder of The Federalist, Sean Davis. Sean, good to see you. Good to be seen. Thank you for having me. So let's start with this, because I think for a lot of people, it may be the first time. I want to get into the overall of the January 6th, which if anyone ever has CNN on in the background at their work, like I do, unfortunately, uh, you know that January 6th has to flash on the screen about every 10 minutes. Like they've got to have a January 6th story, um, but even if nothing has happened, of course. But tell everybody about the doctor, because I know the Federalist broke this story, the doctor text messages that the J6 committee was working with. Right. So last Monday, they did this really dramatic primetime hearing in, in this com- completely absurd January 6th committee in which Liz Cheney and, and others and uh, Adam Schiff dramatically read through these awful texts allegedly from Republican members of Congress plotting the overthrow of America. And one in particular was from Adam Schiff, and he read it and he said, this is just awful. This is someone plotting the overthrow of a member of Congress. And we looked into it. We looked at the original text. And uh, not only was it not written by a member of Congress, it was written by a lawyer providing his uh, summary of a a legal opinion he had had drafted. Adam Schiff and the January 6th committee went and doctored up the text. They cut out a bunch of paragraphs. They added punctuation. uh, And they didn't disclose any of it. They they even put together a completely doctored screenshot, which they claimed was the actual text. We caught them red-handed. And it was so bad that, that Adam Schiff and the J6 committee, of all people, had to admit that they got caught. So they put out a statement last week saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we technically did uh, slice and dice this quote, but it was, it was just uh, some punctuation here and there. Here's Schiff talking about this, by the way. Watch, everybody. I want to display just a few of the message he received from people in Congress. If we could cue the first graphic. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about. About a lawmaker suggesting that the former vice president simply throw out votes that he unilaterally deems unconstitutional in order to overturn a presidential election and subvert the will of the American people. Uh, for, I mean, two things. One, I think Maisie Hirono is clearly the dumbest member of Congress, although people can argue with me on that one if they want. Is Adam Schiff the most dishonest member of Congress? And also, what is he trying to get at here? It's a battle between Schiff and Swalwell, I think, for the dirtiest mm. and, and most uh, uh, deceitful member of Congress. 
But what's interesting there is he claims, you know, that he has to go and and bind Meadows and others in contempt because they won't come answer questions about these texts. So as we broke last week, that text came from Jim Jordan. Now, he didn't write it. He was forwarding uh, a legal summary of a memorandum from a D.C. attorney. Uh, but Adam Schiff never went to bother and asked Jim Jordan, hey, did, did you send this? Did you write this? What, what were you saying here? He didn't bother going down the hall and asking the guy he worked with, the guy he knew who sent the text, what he thought about it. And yet he wants to posture as if he can't possibly get answers about any of this without bringing in Mark Meadows. Well, no, you could walk down the hall. You could ask your colleagues about this. But instead, you're running a show trial, doctoring tech and putting up fake graphics because you want to distract from your crappy uh, record this year uh, by talking about January 6th, something that nobody cares about outside of Washington, D.C. Speaking about show trials, um, we have this J6 committee going on. We also have real trials underway, which some would say are also turning into show trials, depending on which one, of people who have been held in solitary confinement for nonviolent crimes, in many cases for months on end. It's also been exposed, Sean, that the person in charge of the D.C. holding facility in the District of Columbia, where they're currently uh, going through some pretty uh, harsh restrictions day in and day out, is essentially a woke leftist loon, is there any movement from, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say this, Republican members of Congress to do anything for these people who are still Americans and have constitutional rights and, and also are just human beings? Well, it's kind of amazing watching how the D.C. courts are dealing with this. We just had a guy who was indicted as part of the Russia collusion hoax. His name is Michael Sussman. He was a former lawyer for the Hillary Clinton campaign. And he got, uh, got indicted for lying to the feds uh, about his role and who he was actually working for when he was feeding them uh, false nonsense uh, that ended up being in this dossier. Now, he just got his trial moved up. This is a guy who's being charged with, with felony misstatements to the FBI. They just moved his trial up, the D.C. court did, because they said, oh, we, we've got to get him his speedy trial. Compare that to just the random people who made the mistake of walking through the Capitol with the flag. These aren't even felonies many, many of them are uh, charged with. They're misdemeanors. But they're being held in solitary, having their trials delayed for more than a year. And what's really going on here is I think the FBI and DOJ know they have really, really weak cases. They're stretching these statutes uh, beyond their limits. And what they want to do is break these prisoners. They want to break these people and force pleas so they don't have to find themselves in court where these people can do discovery and show what really happened that day. Pretty remarkable. They're still going after folks who had nothing to do with the actual J6 uh, riot on the Capitol that day. Roger Stone here was saying that he was deposed by the January 6th committee. Here's his, uh, here's his wrap up of what he, what he dealt with. This morning in fulfillment of a federal uh, subpoena, uh, I did my civic duty and I responded as required by law. I did invoke my Fifth Amendment rights to every question not because I have done anything wrong, but because I am fully aware of the House Democrats' long history uh, of fabricating perjury charges on the basis of comments that are innocuous, immaterial, or irrelevant. Uh, I question the legitimacy of this inquiry based on the fact that Speaker Pelosi rejected the appointment of Republicans to this committee and seated two anti-Republican, anti-Trump Republicans. This is Witch Hunt 3.0. Reminder, Roger Stone's a pretty eloquent guy. Uh, but beyond that, Sean, 
They're still harassing Roger Stone? We're still on this? Apparently. I mean, they, they have nothing better to do. We don't have any other larger, bigger pressing concerns in America, like a war that uh, the Biden administration lost or rampant inflation or skyrocketing gas prices or you know, COVID deaths being worse than they were under Trump. No, they, they get to focus on the important things like a guy who worked for Richard Nixon 40 years ago. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just great. Anyway, Sean, Merry Christmas, man. Thanks for being here with us. We'll see you in the new year. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Things got a little testy between Vice President Harris and Charlemagne the God during an interview on the radio host Comedy Central show. We'll have the awkward exchange coming up in Quick Hits. But I want to tell you about a potential investment opportunity. You ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? Didn't want to make rookie mistakes? I felt that way until a little over a year ago. I love the idea of real estate investment, but I didn't want to make big errors in the early phases. That's when I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me. Now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process, picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, getting a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends can do for you. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey. And we'll be back shortly with Quick Hits. Vice President Kamala Harris gets in a testy exchange with radio host Charlemagne the God, and Joe Biden tells yet another whopper about his past in the civil rights movement. Another Biden line, no surprise. We got those stories in quick hits. Let's get right to it. Here we have a situation. Um, Kamala Harris is not doing very well as vice president. You may have seen or heard about her very low poll numbers of support, including among Democrats. People increasingly feel like Kamala Harris seems out of touch, incompetent, doesn't really have a connection with her voters, with her supporters. It's as though she's just been pushed along for superficial reasons at various points in her political career. And people have started to recognize that there's an issue if, and I mean Democrats, by the way, if she's going to take over for Joe Biden at some point in the future as the standard bearer of the Democrat Party. All that said, they can't entirely insulate her from discussions with the public. She does have to sit for interviews sometimes. And yes, it'll be with friendly media only, but even friendly media sometimes will ask a real question. Charlemagne the God, a morning radio host uh, and also host of this TV show, asked her a question, meant to be a little provocative, but he was pushing back a bit on whether Joe Biden's really calling the shots. And here's how this went. I, who's the superhero that's going to speak against Joe Manchin, no. I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi- is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? I'm sorry, I just want to interrupt and I don't think the vice president can hear you. It's Simone. I'm so sorry, Charlie. We have to she, rap. She can hear me. <laughs> can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Madam okay, Vice President? Oh, I'm sorry. We got a rap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me, y'all. <laughs> I can hear you. Oh, so who's the I real? So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell. No, no, sometimes. no, 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 no. It's Joe Biden, and don't start talking like a Republican 
about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? Joe, and it's Joe and it's Joe Biden, and I'm vice president. And my name is Kamala Harris. Ooh. Let's start with first of all uh, credit to Mr. Charlemagne the God when he decided to push back on the notion that she couldn't hear him, which she clearly could. And what you had there was some PR flack who was trying to keep Kamala from stepping into trouble by having an unscripted moment in response to a question that has some bite to it, has some challenge behind it. So they pretended to do the, uh, we, we, we can't hear you, we can't hear you. No, they actually can hear, just she could hear rather, just fine. And so credit to him for pointing that out. But then notice the way Kamala Harris responds. It's almost as though her expectation is that she will never receive any real pushback or questions from the press. Journalists, in this case, a, a host, an opinion uh, host on a, a comedy channel, but nonetheless, uh, people in the media who, aren't they supposed to speak truth to power and try to get answers for the people? That's what we've been told. By the way, Joe Biden, uh, told uh, the graduates of HBCU uh, that he desegregated restaurants uh, and movie theaters during the civil rights movement. That the guy, look, watch this. You just got to see this. I got started in politics because of the civil rights movement. I noticed some of you were looking at it. I thought you were wondering, how does he know the black national anthem? Well, because I sat in a black church after going to 7 o'clock mass, I'm a practicing Catholic, at 10 o'clock on the east side, getting ready to go out and desegregate restaurants and movie theaters. I mean, that anyone still falls for this guy's shtick is just amazing. Is Fauci the worst? It's a very important question these days. The answer is quite clear, yes. I've told everybody many times that there are going to be aspects of his mitigation strategy that he will want forever, that this will, this will actually become the new normal for the rest of your life if you allow it to. One of them has to do with masking on planes, which you may recall two CEOs of major airlines recently came out to say that masking on planes is essentially pointless, which it clearly is, and we all know that, but Fauci clings to those masks and wants you to forever and says you should wear them forever on planes. Watch. We're suggesting that there really isn't much of a need for a mask on an airplane. Are we going to get to the point where we won't have to wear masks on airplanes? I don't think so. I think when you're dealing with a closed space, even though the filtration is good, that you want to go that extra step when you have people. You know, you get a flight from Washington to San Francisco. It's a well over a five hour flight. Even though you have a good filtration system, I still believe that masks are a prudent thing to do and we should be doing it. He's an anti-scientific moron, everybody, and people should ignore him and should be repudiating every bullcrap thing he says every day. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.